This episode is sponsored by The Kings. Thank you for all of your love and support. This week on Steadfast. Like if there's this space in woman to uh, receive and accept life, that actually is also an indication of how her heart was made. There's space. There's space in woman to be uh, someone who is sensitive and notices needs, someone who welcomes and receives and nurtures. Welcome to Steadfast. Welcome to Steadfast. Let's get your babies. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the season premiere of season two of Steadfast. And Happy New Year. It's only been a couple days, but I hope that your 2023 has been going swimmingly. Before we dive into this conversation with Sister Bethany Madonna, I want to share with you a glimpse of season two because I'm so excited. I'm just going to list them all off. You ready? I'm going to talk to Sarah White, a.k.a. Millennial Fiat, about purity culture. Father Matt Lowry about being pro-life on a college campus. Amanda McCleary about babies with disabilities and how the pro-choice side uses disabilities as a reason for an abortion. Jesse and Elizabeth Moore about the foster care system. Jeff Joquin about his experience as a father healing from an abortion. And Nicole Delaney, the director of the tribunal, about marriages and annulments. Guys... I'm stoked. This is going to be such a good season. I have no idea what exactly order that's going to all be in, but you know, cool, cool. I am also so excited to announce Life Choice's first impact day. We are going to have a volunteer day. We will meet at St. Joan of Arc in Phoenix, send volunteers out by the literal busload to pro-life organizations like Andre House, Maggie's Place, Jacob's Hope. If you have not heard of Jacob's Hope, check out that episode from season one. We will also be painting a wall at one of our locations of life choices. And then after we have served these places, been Jesus's hands and feet, we will go back to St. Joan of Arc for vigil mass, worship our Lord, and have dinner. And it's amazing. I'm so excited. If you want to sign up and join us, you can go to prolifeeducation.com slash impact day. If you want to make a donation, you can also go to that same link If you want to sponsor this event and have your business logo on the back of our t-shirts, you can also do that on the same link, prolifeeducation.com slash impact day. Everyone is invited to join us as long as you are over the age of 12. Families, youth groups, schools, let's do this. I just keep using the word excited, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what I am. All right, so back to this episode, I get to talk to Sister Bethany Madonna about the feminine heart and how it is inherently pro life. Sister Bethany joined the Sisters of Life back in 2007 and has gone on to be a national public speaker. In fact, she is speaking at Focus right now, the SEEK conference, 20,000 people. Mind-blowing. If you want to check out some of her previous Focus talks, they're on YouTube. I actually used them when I was a youth minister. This was probably three, four years ago. I was doing a girls' night, and she talked about the feminine heart, which is what we talk about today, and I used some of her wise words for my girls talk. So it was such a joy and a blessing to be able to talk to her about the feminine heart and how it is inherently pro-life. I could really talk to Sister Bethany all day long, but I am just going to let you hear her beautiful words. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sister Bethany Madonna about the feminine heart. Hi, Sister Bethany. How are you? Hi, Sammy. I'm doing very well. (laughs) Good. Welcome to Steadfast. Thank you so much for joining us on this lovely podcast. Can you tell our listeners about yourself and how how did you enter religious life? (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) I... No, I'm ready. I am so ready. (laughs) Yeah, I was... um, 
yeah, uh, born in California, uh, raised in Florida. So, uh, so happy here in Phoenix. It feels like a homecoming in some ways. Uh, I grew up Catholic. My father is a convert to Catholicism. He came into the church when I was in second grade. And I would have to say my, um, yeah, I always, I always loved marriage. I loved, I loved love and I uh, had my wedding planned by the age of five, I would say with, with sketches around 12. I remember passing notes in my sixth grade class of like, you know, the sketches. Oh, wow. so, um, definitely had like a heart that longed, uh, to experience a beautiful love. So it was in, um, in high school, I had kind of a shattering experience where, you know, two paths converged and my friend groups and, um, I had tasted the party scene and been, uh, very, um, yeah, convicted that it wasn't mine and that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, be partaking in that. And, um, yeah, I lost all my friends, uh, and like one felt swoop, uh, my junior year of high school. So, um, another group reached out to me and they were like, Hey, you want to come hang out with us? We're going to be doing this thing with our youth group. And it was like this life teen youth group. And I had never heard of that or been part of, they were like, we do Bible studies and we go on retreat. And I was like, Bible study. All right. You like studying like <laughs> for, for how long, or, you know, like, <laughs> Is there pizza or, you know, so I was like, I can try that. I definitely, I was so eager uh, to, to have friends and it was like a whole world like opened up in front of me of like great, great friendships, uh, wonderful, wonderful girls who love to do what I love to do and great guys who are clean cut and fun and, and uh, had their eyes on the Lord. So it was just such a beautiful gift. So yeah, I dated and uh really opened myself up to the possibility of marriage. I went off to college and then I, yeah, experienced, uh, an adoration, uh, just an invitation from the Lord. I, I asked a sincere question, how did you make my heart to love? And I felt like he responded, uh, consider being mine. And that led me on a path of discernment where, yeah, he answered my greatest fears, which was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be loveless. Like there goes the free, total, faithful, fruitful, like dream that was mine. And I could not imagine not being a mother like that to me was just unthinkable. I thought I, I, I wouldn't be able to survive that. So he answered that with um, two more invitations. And it was, would you love me uh, with the love that you're saving for a husband? Would you love me with it? Would you let me love you perfectly? you know, into eternity as your spouse. And that was so precious. And I had tasted that and knew the goodness of that, that love, that divine love. But I was like, what about the kids? You know, Peter, James, John, Paul, Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew, Linus, the baby. And, uh, <laughs> and those are just the boys. I know. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he said to me, would you, would you love every child as if, it were your own a flesh and blood would you love in that way and i i i understood uh, that it was so far beyond uh beyond my grasp but that it was pure gift and that it was the hundredfold uh the hundredfold that was promised and i've i've seen the faithfulness of god in that and so when i met the sisters of life uh who their whole existence is to be in union uh, with with uh, with God in contemplative prayer, and to give ourselves wholly to the Lord of Life and as brides, and then to mother mothers. It just was as if 
my heart had been set towards. So it was a, a, a treasure to meet the community and to be confirmed in this vocation. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, so what do the Sisters of Life do? What, what drew you to them? Yeah. So I, um, well, yes, you did kind of answer what drew you to them, but you know, yeah, I, in college, I, um, I started dipping into the theology of the body with my uh, friends and going to conferences and learning more just about the beauty and the sacredness of uh, God's plan for life and love, uh, specifically communicated through our bodies, through the male and female, through, uh, through how we were um, created in his image and likeness. And so that was one piece of what drew me to the Sisters of Life, just understanding the beauty of the human person and how we were made and the, like really the, the destiny that we're, we're called to, uh, that it's not just this life, which is so beautiful in so many ways, but eternal life, life that Christ, uh, won for us and invites us to. And then secondly, I had a, I had a friend who'd had a radical conversion who kind of took me along with her in college. And she brought me to an abortion clinic one Saturday morning and I'll never forget the day as long as I live because I, uh, abortion was, was, um, always kind of a distant thing, sort of a medical procedure or a political battle or a sin, you know, and that morning it, I saw all the girls lined up and there were the girls in my classes. And it was like, oh uh, I just remember the tears streaming down my face as we prayed the rosary. And I was, I just knew I'd live and die for them. I didn't know what that would entail, but uh, when I met the Sisters of Life and they shared that they were consecrated, uh, totally given to the Lord, and that they take a fourth vow in addition to poverty, chastity, and obedience, they vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of human life. So, um, yeah, they walk with women who are pregnant and vulnerable and scared, and they, they receive them and uh, embrace them and really um, accompany them on that that tenuous and uh, frightening and yet often so glorious uh, journey of accepting and embracing their maternity. We have a home, a convent where pregnant women live with us in Manhattan. Uh, so even seeing oh, awesome. the sisters going to births and going to doctor's appointments and oh, uh, awesome. helping, helping the mothers really transition into their motherhood. Um, and then our mission of hope and healing for those suffering after abortion really struck me deeply. So um, in, in New York, we have a full-time mission, uh, receiving calls, emails, hosting days and weekends for women who are suffering after abortion. It could be two weeks and it could be 70 years after an abortion. We've, we've seen, um, the, yeah, the chokehold of shame and regret get, get just broken and women come back to life again. So it's, it's very powerful. So, and all of those things, I was very drawn to be able to give give my life to Jesus in this way and to be able to be a proclamation of the unique beauty and dignity and sacredness of every life, no matter how strong or weak, you know, poor or rich and sick or well, like just every person is worthy of our, our love, our time, uh, our affection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, praise God. I actually think that I'm jumping in with the, the, we're talking about the feminine heart today, but I was thinking about how being feminine, really, uh, if you are truly a woman of God and really um, close to God, you automatically are life-giving. Like you, you mm. give life to the people around you. And that's even what Alex, my husband said, after talking to you <laughs> at uh, the AIDS Woman Gala, he, I mean, I think he 
we both were just like, see, we just feel like invigorated. Like you gave, <laughs> you gave us life. Um, and I think that's actually your beautiful, perfect example of the, uh, how the, the feminine heart is inherently pro-life. So that's what we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, how the feminine heart and how it's, uh, what, it, what, I want to talk about the feminine yeah. heart and how it's inherently pro-life. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does our creation story really speak to God's intentional design of women in our hearts? Yeah, I love it. I think part of the creation story that's true and real and communicates something is that woman was the final act of creation. So she's like, the crown. She, every artist, his last piece is his masterpiece. So just recognizing that woman has a special place in the heart of God and that creation wasn't complete without her. In fact, Adam was looking around feeling uh, rather alone and <laughs> desolate and, and need, and it's not good for man to be alone. So for us to be a uh, woman, to be brought forward and to be brought forward from his side, uh, again, reveals an equality that we're at the side, um, side to side with man and of equal dignity, of equal necessity, and that we complement one another. And so that's very precious to, to recognize and receive. Uh, and, and as we walk forward in, in knowing the gift of our femininity, recognizing too that woman uh, is receptive. She has, uh, there's an open and an open quality to her body to be able to receive uh, the gift of her husband. And uh, even, even the like precious uh, reverence owed to just that woman has a place within her body where a uh, human life can be conceived and received and nurtured and grow. Like if there's this space in woman to uh, receive and accept life, that actually is also an indication of how her heart was made. There's space, there's space in woman to be uh, someone who is sensitive and notices needs, someone who welcomes and receives and nurtures, uh, someone who, as you're saying, um, is able to give life to others, whether that's physically, spiritually, um, emotionally, you know, like restores and upholds and emboldens, you know? Yeah. I have a, so I used to be a youth minister for six years and I would give the the talks about, you know, femininity and being a woman. And I would talk about how we, we do have that place where we just want to nurture and we want to take care of people. And it's, it's automatically motherly. And this girl was sitting there and she just got upset because she's like, I don't want to be a mother. So I'm not a woman. So I'm not I'm a woman of God, or I'm not, um, she just got so strangely upset by it. And what I wanted to say is you take care of your sister all the time. You just, you, you take care of your friends and you care about them. So can we talk about what does it look like when we are using our femininity to be Mm life-giving? I guess I would just start, if I could just address the concern of that team. Uh, yeah, there are, there are many women who are like, gosh, am I feminine or wow, I don't really have like a longing for a large family or I don't feel a need um, in that way. And I would just address it right off the bat. Like there's no judgment in that. There's no condemnation in that. It's really, it's good to acknowledge, uh, to say you're not alone if you're struggling in, in, in uh, kind of accepting or embracing that uh, aspect of femininity, because we live in a culture that is surrounded by Uh, portrayals of femininity as a curse or as a weak thing or as um, a source of shame or a source of like vulnerability to abuse. And so motherhood can be seen as a burden, like something that holds women back or a disadvantage. And 
I think anyone, yeah, who experiences that, it's so good to be honest and to recognize that maybe this part of my heart um, is muted or has been wounded in some way, or the volume got turned down, or um, it had maybe it's just dormant and it's never been awoken. And so not to not to worry or panic, but to really to bring it to the one who made you and the one who knows you and the one who loves you. And just to say to the Lord, yeah, um, welcome him into that, that place and ask him to reveal the blessing and the gift of, of being woman and of, yeah, the desire from eternity is a natural desire. So if it's not there, or if it's, there's a block to ask him, ask him to reveal, like shed light on what that might be. Um, because God from all eternity had a plan and calling you into existence as woman and wants you to receive life and to give life uh, in that particular way. So I would start there. And then um, kind of your second part, how do I begin kind of nurturing this feminine part of my heart? And it's exactly what you're saying. We might have an image or a picture of what woman is, but I'm going to live it uniquely and distinctly uh, with my particular love, my particular personality, my particular gifts. So I would recommend to anyone who's like searching in this way to say like, what lights me up? Where are my passions? Where are my gifts? Uh, where do people often compliment me or mention like, whenever I'm around you, or uh, you might not know this, but you're really someone I, you know, whatever, trust, or I seek counsel from, or I feel safe with, or, you know, whatever it is, it, people might be um, bringing your gifts to you and before you. Um, and so being able to even ask, ask friends, like, what do you, well, yeah, what do you, what do you think when you, when you're around me, what do you think I, yeah, where are my strengths and not, not being afraid to ask because people often assume that, you know, your own strengths and your own gifts. And so it can be helpful to go to somebody trusted and say, yeah, uh, love of a revelation from you of what, what good you see, you know, it's a very vulnerable question though. It's a very vulnerable question. Like I automatically got like, Oh, <laughs> Sounds a little uncomfy. <laughs> it would have to be a trusted friend. It would have to be yeah. somebody that you really, or a teacher or somebody that, you know, has the capacity to see good. Yeah. You know, wouldn't want to just ask anybody. Cause you're right. Some people are insecure oh, yeah. and might, might take advantage of. Yeah. Uh, well, I just celebrated my birthday. I went to breakfast with some of my ladies that we have like kind of like a Catholic book club. And one of them was like, you know, for your birthday, I think we're going to sit here drink a mimosa and affirm you. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so they just went around the table and it was probably the best gift they really could have given me for my birthday because yeah. they were just like, these are, this is what I see in you and your gifts. And, um, this is like, I just want to affirm you and this, this, and this. And I was just like, this was so uncomfortable, but also like really what I needed. And <laughs> just yeah. so, I mean, it was a beautiful example of women lifting each other up, which I think millennials especially are not very good at yeah. because we are competitive. And it is not ingrained in us to lift each other up. It's ingrained right. in us to, you know, try to, you know, be the best that we can be. Um, I do think that the next generation is actually really good at rallying for each other much better than we are, but yeah, it's right. <laughs> you didn't, you really didn't. You're right. It's uncomfortable to receive. And, but it's part of our feminine nature that if I do receive another person's able to give a gift. And then I can reciprocate later, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it kind of breaks down this, um, the barrier that keeps us from living our dependence on one another. We actually aren't 
and dependent. We are dependent on one another and need to begin engaging that yeah, uh, just in a human way. It's also good to practice that, especially if you're going to go to, to God and you want to be able to actually receive, because it's still, yeah. that's going to be way better of a, a compliment <laughs> than yeah. coming from a fellow human, um, trying to look at yourself, how God sees you or letting God tell you how he sees you. That's going to be yeah. potentially even more uncomfortable if you're yeah. not ready for that. It's can, it can be very simple. Some people are, might have never been led through it, but even just taking some space, um, phone off, music off in your room, quiet, and just even closing your eyes and being like, okay, five minutes, 10 minutes, and just saying, come Holy Spirit, very simply, and asking the Holy Spirit to bring you back uh, to the moment you were brought into being. And just actually, it's a real moment in time. And that really happened. And you can kind of be transported back and just saying, um, yeah, Holy Spirit, come bring me to that moment when I came into being and experienced God, like breathing me into life, you know, and delighting in me and choosing me. And cause there was this time where no one knew I existed, but God, like my parents didn't know for weeks, you know, and it's like me and God alone where he is just radiating love and acceptance. And, and if I can go there in prayer, even just for a minute, five minutes, you know, just to be alone with him where it's just love. And then the power of recognizing nothing has changed. That's what it means that God's love is unconditional. It doesn't mean like, well, sister, that's when I was first existed, but <laughs> before I could do anything to damage you know, the situation, <laughs> nothing has changed. He's still delighting. He's still willing you into being, he's still sustaining and cherishing and loving. And it's so healing to give ourselves permission to go to that place and receive the gift of our lives afresh, you know? Yeah. It's so difficult, especially in today's culture to even have those quiet moments. Yeah. I, I had those quiet moments this past weekend because my husband had to go to a wedding in Tennessee. I had to go to a wedding in Cottonwood. The kids were in my, with my parents. So I was alone and I was like, <laughs> this is kind of like uncomfortable. Like, I, I feel like I need to play some music or some podcast or something. And I was like, you know, that like what your heart actually wants is to mm -hmm. sit here with God, but you are, it's like, I, I needed the noise or the quiet was uncomfortable. And usually I'm good at recognizing, okay, that just means that you need to spend time with God. But I was like uncomfortable with it, but there was a desire there. And I think that is a part of one of our feminine characteristics of that. Like we have that desire for um, mm. companionship or um, union. And intimacy. And intimacy. There you go. That's yeah. Right. No, that's exactly it. Union, communion, intimacy. And you're right. It's, it is, it can be uncomfortable, especially when I'm, I don't, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know if he's going to say anything, but even in the silence, we, our souls actually need silence. Like we need air. I mean, like we need water and we don't always realize how silence is healing. Mother Teresa one time was asked what she did in prayer. Uh, like what was she doing for the hours of prayer that she spent? And she's like, Oh, I listened to God. And they were like, Oh, wow. Of course. <laughs> like, they were like, what does he say to you? And she was like, Oh, he listens to me. And it's like, okay, wow. They're just both listening to each other and no one's saying anything. And it's like, can I sit in that? Can I receive that? Where it's like, I'm so happy to go to a place. Sometimes I can't put my heart into words. Sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know why I'm feeling it. I don't know. And I don't owe him. It's so beautiful that I can go for God and be like, here I am, Jesus, you know, it all Lord, you know, and I don't, I don't have to explain like when I'm with a friend and I'm trying to articulate things and nail it down. Like 
to have someone who receives me and knows and can listen to me and then through his presence speak into it, you know, it's so, it's so precious. Yeah. But you're right. It's, it's a, it's a discipline in some ways to try and not let the noise overtake that. So how do we figure out? So you kind of talked about, you know, asking other people, um, and kind of figuring out what you, maybe your feminine gifts are that God has mm-hmm. given you. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we kind of expand upon those and grow those so that we can be life-giving? Yeah. So the first part is the acknowledgement part and being able to recognize it and give myself the opportunity to, to um, see where my heart is drawing me. So sometimes people are drawn, yeah, drawn to a certain art or drawn to a certain service group, you know, or drawn to a certain population that they're like, I don't know why, but my heart just aches for these people, you know, Uh, drawn to a certain subject in school that you don't know why, but it just like, it just, it's riveting to you to know about um, whatever it is, policy or politics or history or um, what literature, what something lights, lights me up. So it's, it's really beautiful to know that God knows our hearts. And he knows what attracts us and he knows how to get our attention. So I would say being sensitive to that of like, okay, this is something I really love and relish and enjoy and giving yourself permission to try new things too, like, um, or to not have to participate in everything. I think that's, there's a real pressure on women now to like, like you were saying, the competing and the being the best and the doing the most, but giving yourself permission to really, um, yeah, engage what yeah, what you need to do, obviously, um, in the realm of school and obligations, but also like, what gives me joy? And what, what, what areas do, can I leisure and actually rest in the beauty around me, you know, and the beauty that's God's gift that will restore me. So I would say that I would say too, um, just developing virtue. And I, it's, there's so many words that are like very unpopular that I almost want to redeem. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> virtue is one of them. Chastity is another one. Like chastity, like I feel like needs a total makeover. Like, it, you know, the, all, all those movies that used to be like the nerdy girl who like somebody can see the potential in it and then they like make her over. And then by the end of the movie, she's like the glorious, like whatever. Yeah. Um, chastity is like that. I'm like, chastity is such a beautiful, radiant um, gorgeous, uh, virtue and attribute in women. And when it's lived, they're free, they're joyful. And the men around them feel more like men. The men around them want to protect them, want to uphold them, want to honor them. And men will say that if a woman is not chaste or not modest, they're, they're more likely to just look at her for her body or use her or like, they, they don't feel called higher. Yeah. So, um, again, it's like wanting women to know, like, you deserve it. You deserve yeah. better, you know? So like developing. I, yeah. I have a quote really fast. Cause that, that the Alice, Alice von Hildebrand women have the power to draw out of men, what is best in them and kindle purity in their souls or to awaken what is worse in them and fuel in them the ever-present furnace of lust. Yes. Yeah. It's very, it's really real. And also just for herself. Like, I feel like yeah. I've talked to women who had massive radical conversions and they were like, I felt worthless before, but when I, when I changed the way that I saw myself acted, treated others, treated other women, like when you start to you blessed are the pure of heart, they see God. It's like, you actually begin to see God in yourself, like your own being in his image and likeness. And you see him in others and you want to reverence them like the mystery that they are, the 
the unique person that they are, like their unique woundedness and history. And like, I just, you, you know, you just have a whole new way of living. So I would say just being, uh, being able to foster virtue, like, like you're saying, kindness, um, patience, gentleness, um, sobriety and self-control, like, like not, not giving into the addictions of our day that like, I leave, I leave whatever I was just participating in. I feel either tired or, um, the compare and despair where I just looked at everybody else's photo albums for hours. And I'm like, wow, my life stinks. And it's like, okay, the benefit of that was, you know, just recognizing, I don't need to, I don't need to partake in that. I don't need to give way to that. Like I, there's another way where I can, um, yeah, grow, grow and mature as a person and find myself and find, yeah, find just different opportunities to make a gift of myself, especially in being selfless or being generous with others. Yeah. And like you were saying with the the mystery and the sacredness, that's um, another thing with veiling. Uh, Again, it's in Alice von Hildebrand. There's something in woman that calls for veiling. We veil what is sacred, mysterious, and sublime. Every woman carries within herself a secret, something mysterious and sacred. This secret is on the natural level, the potential of new life. The beauty of femininity of the female body, um, the ability to literally give life, not just be life-giving to our, our friends and family. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Being a sister of life, we walk with women who find themselves pregnant and vulnerable to abortion, uh, often because they didn't, um, ever hear that they didn't, we were never told how very sacred, uh, their bodies were the standards they should have for the men that they date, um, what it means to be respected and upheld and guarded, And, uh, so they've never heard that. And, um, it's so beautiful. One of the women that we're currently serving, she, she knew she regretted, uh, having given herself, um, to someone, um, and, and sleeping with him. And she's made this new beautiful commitment now that she's pregnant and expecting, she's like, my life is starting over. Like, I know now what I deserve. I know what I need. She threw away all her clothes. Uh, her party clothes. She was just like, not only should I never wear those again, but no one should wear them again. <laughs> I mean, she <laughs> whole new wardrobe. Like she's coming to um, to learn more about her femininity and like participate in women's ministry. Like this is somebody who's come such a long way in such a short time because of grace. And the reality is to recognize that motherhood is is a crown. It is God's gr- greatest gift in so many ways to woman. It crowns her love. Uh, and with her husband and is able to reveal in flesh an expression of their union uh, of, of um, the union of their hearts, the union of their bodies to become one flesh. And then it has this little expression who looks like one of you, you know, or both, of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to recognize too, like when women look at careers and jobs and they think about motherhood, it can often be like, you know, treated like the lower uh, the lower honor. It's like, is there a greater privilege than to nurture a human soul that will live into eternity, you know, to have someone, um, yeah, on the receiving end of your love who is called to be a saint, you know, like this is, this is the privilege of a mother. Everybody, everybody wants their mother when they're, I just was just got over feeling sick. I'm like, Oh, my mom, <laughs> you know, like, it's like you always want, you know, soldiers on the battlefield cry for their moms. Like, it's just like, everybody knows intuitively. And the fact that the blessed mother 
is, is our mother. And it shows us the way as women, we, you know, we can treat her like she's like in a cloud somewhere unaccessible and beyond us. She understands everything that we go through. She lived a perfectly human life. Uh, she's not divine. She's fully human. And she knows the pain. Um, she knows pain of betrayal and, 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 you know, the abuse of others and people judging her. I mean, she knows, she knows marriage. She knows, um, she knows what it's like to raise a child and to be confounded by this child, you know, and and to lose a child and to lose a child. Exactly. And to see a child, yeah, a child, um, taken all uh, taken and, and, um, brutally. So it's just, she truly is our mother and she can help us with any element of our femininity that we're feeling uh, weak or uncomfortable or even resistant towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I love about that story about the, the lady that you're helping is that her ability to give life is giving her life, mm-hmm. a new life. Mm-hmm. And she's starting over. And I, I had to tell a lot of teenagers that virtue is chastity, not virginity. Yes. And yeah. I think that sometimes, I mean, there is a, I've seen a kind of like a, a movement of like reclaiming. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's really reclaiming a virginity, but basically making that commitment again of, um, chastity and purity. And I I'm going to have someone on the podcast actually soon to talk about purity culture. Yeah. So I think that will be, that'll be good. Mary, Mary is a perfect example also of that receptivity that you, you know, to circle back to the beginning um, of our ability to receive she's the perfect example of how we should receive, um, because she was receptive to God's plan. And she said yes to the Holy spirit coming upon her, giving her a baby. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, I, I don't know if it's cause my father was a Protestant convert, but I, I, um, we didn't, we didn't talk much about our lady. So I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't know what to think of her, what to make of her. She was like a statue. She's a Holy card. She seemed I think because she was sinless, it made me feel kind of like she's unapproachable in some ways or very, very distinct from me. So I, yeah, I had a beautiful experience of the blessed mother, um, coming to me in a very, really precious way. I had, I had been painting at the convent, uh, as a novice and I was covered in rags and I was like, you know, like protecting my habit, but I didn't put a sign up. And one of my sisters walked past and her whole habit scraped against the black paint. So I knew that the I knew that the paint thinner wouldn't bring it out. And I remember she went to go get the paint thinner and to try and save her habit. I remember saying the memorare for the first time. And I, I didn't really pray to our lady. I didn't really reach out to her when I needed something, but this was like, I just ruined someone's whole habit. So I was having a moment, a meltdown. I was like, remember almost oh, gracious Virgin Mary that never was it known ever in like the history of the world ever that anyone, not even one person, <laughs> please don't let me be the first, you know, uh, came to you, asked your intercession and implored your help and didn't, you know, sought you anyway, I said the whole, the most sincere memory. And I went inside and the whole habit was like sparkling clean. And I like burst into tears. And I was like, she can hear me. And I'm like <laughs> shaking the sister. Like everyone's watching this whole thing un- unfold. She's like, why are you yelling? I'm like, I'm sobbing. <laughs> I'm telling you from then on, I was like, she can hear me. Like the blessed mother is so close to us. She cares about little, little things and big things. She's the undoer of knots. She's the, you know, the, she's the consolation of the sick. She's the, she's the uh, refuge of sinners. She's, she just has such a place. She has so much room for me. She has so much care for me. It's like just being able to approach her and not be ashamed of anything that I'm going to bring to her, anything I'm going to ask of her, 
uh, great, bold confidence. I mean, at Cana, she, she's the, she's the first to have Jesus work a miracle. And you would think it would have been like raising somebody from the dead or sickness, but it was like, this married couple is going to be embarrassed. We can't have that <laughs> like, sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. So she's so close to us. Yeah. Have you watched the chosen? I've seen some of it. There's a scene where, um, she was talking about how like, you know, Jesus is growing up and did he ever really need me? Because he's a son of God. Like, did, like he, did he ever actually need me as a mother once he was pretty much, you know, past the toddler phase. And then it comes back. Uh, Jesus spent the whole day healing people, working miracles. And he kind of like, you know, I'm, this is probably not a good thing to act out because it's a podcast and you're not gonna be able to see me, but he's like, you know, he's beat up. He's so tired. Um, and she, he is having a hard time taking off his shoes and she runs over and starts taking off his shoes and cleans his feet and takes care of him and basically tucks him into bed. And he says, you know, thanks Ema and says, you know, like, I'm tired. She's like, you know, my son basically. And it's just, I like was crying. It was like (laughs) such a good episode. Um, I don't think even growing up Catholic, I didn't have much, uh, I I don't want to say interest, but I, I, didn't relate to Mary at all, but it was really the divine mercy story and the second greatest story ever told. Um, wow. I, that really helped me, I think. Um, and then there is the girls night. We're going to make the bracelets, the, the knotted rosaries. Yes. And I couldn't get it. And I just kept undoing. And I was just like, what the heck? And then the next day I found out that the day that I was doing that, it was literally the feast day of undoer of knots, like our lady. Undoer <laughs> of knots. I was like, really? <laughs> Is that why all of my knots did not work all day long? <laughs> See, so there's a, she has a sense of humor too. Oh yeah, she definitely <laughs> does. I think you have to. So in today's culture, especially on social media, actually it's not even just on social media, it's just in our culture. We see so much praising of women who chose themselves and their careers over being mm-hmm. a, a mother or a wife, or especially um, even just a homemaker. And we see women thanking uh, the ability to have an abortion for her success. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of judgment. I mean, Anne Hathaway last week said that abortion is uh, another word for abortion is mercy. Mm-hmm. And we just see all this uh, rejection of femininity and our ability to receive life and our ability to give mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to talk about that a little bit, ask you to talk about that a little bit, because um, there are so many women that are rejecting their femininity and thinking of it, like you said earlier, like a curse, um, or a burden and, mm-hmm. um, wanting to distance themselves from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the, um, privileged insights we have as sisters of life walking with women who are suffering after abortion is to recognize that whether someone has had one abortion or 10 abortions, uh, sometimes abortion is such a traumatic event in the heart of woman and the life of woman. So she sometimes has to shut down, uh, in order to, uh, go through, go through with, with it. There has to be a lot of, um, often denial. And, um, typically the decision to have an abortion is just driven by fear. So it's fear of losing my boyfriend, fear of losing my spouse, fear of, Um, the physical ramifications of pregnancy, fear of humiliation, fear of losing an opportunity or my job. So it's fear, fear, fear just enters in and then drives the decision. And so often uh, after an abortion, there might be relief from that fear, 
but something new enters in and it's a new wound and it's a new, a new anguish. And sometimes there's triggers to abortion. It might be five years later, you might be driving past a school bus stop and see one of those kindergartners with the backpack that's the same size as them, you know, and (laughs) it just, it, it strikes your heart. Oh, my child would have been five. It's just a moment. And we've just seen women um, carry and, and, and uh, suffer the burden of, of grief, of rage. Like I should never have had to go through with this. I should have never been put in this position or had one person said something to me, one, I would not have done that, you know? And so you realize that although abortion is like held up as a, a path for women to succeed, the untold story is the physical. Um, sometimes women are not able to conceive again, um, psychological, emotional, and even spiritual uh, ramifications of feeling like we have the Holy Spirit and God guiding us. And then we have an enemy who hates us. And so the enemy often will try and tell a woman who's had an abortion, like you can never be forgiven or um, you're unlovable now, or okay, that, that, this defines you. This is, this is who you are, you know? And the Jesus and his true mercy, his overwhelming ocean of mercy has like extended his heart and opened it comes in and steps into that place of pain and shame. And when someone opens, opens themselves up to receive it, the mercy goes so much deeper, uh, than, than the wound and like overspills out. So we've seen women experience the Lord come to them in that, in that sorrow and bring them back to life. But I would say to any woman considering, um, abortion as, as a, uh, like a necessary evil or something, it's not, uh, abortion is always wounding and is always, always leaves, leaves wreckage, uh, behind it and a, a need for healing and mercy. So, um, the Lord is very, very deeply merciful, but it's sh- abortion should never be upheld as a, as a, a good for woman. It, 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 it never is. Yeah. I, I would always say when I was pregnant with Shiloh, my daughter, um, when people are like, Oh, I'm fine for women's rights. I'm like, I am too, but she's just little and can't oh. speak yet. <laughs> like I'm fighting for my little woman's rights. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So to recognize the impact and then to recognize your right that um, every human life, I mean, we only totally unique, unrepeatable, irreplaceable. So this child, uh, is here. And although we, we make mistakes, God doesn't. And so this little one is here and this is, this is a soul that will go into eternity, you know? So being able to recognize, yeah, that, that, uh, God had a plan and bringing this soul, uh, this little person into, into being at this, at this time, even if the circumstances seem you know, completely uh, out of whack or unfortunate. It's like circumstances change and they can change overnight. And uh, because everything's possible with the Lord, it can, it can be so beautiful to watch, to watch someone say yes and step into the unknown and then see a whole path open up uh, of new life. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would, I would love to talk to you all day. Um, but how can our listeners support you and your ministry and the sisters of life over at St. Agnes? Yeah. Or just the sisters of life in the nation, you know, not, not saying just in Phoenix. Sure. Wherever you are. Um, we're grateful for prayers, uh, to pray that the Lord would continue to bless our efforts and continue to bless us with, uh, vocations and women entering the community. 
I would say also we're always welcoming of coworkers of life. So men and women who feel called to join us in any way. And there's a myriad of ways that uh, people can support the ministry, uh, either walking with women, uh, helping, uh, helping us serve the women directly, indirectly at events or uh, providing for them in, in, a, in various ways, either through your profession or your trade or financially or spiritually interceding for them and their needs. So yeah, we would love to, there's a, um, a form on the website that people can fill out if they desire to be a coworker of life and we would definitely welcome you. Okay. Awesome. I'll put those in the, the show notes. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you, Sammy. This was a delight. <laughs> Thank you, bye.